The Deal with Yield is a podcast series covering the issues that matter most in crop production. Tune in to episodes on iTunes and thedealwithyield.com. Welcome to The Deal with Yield with our host, John Zook, agronomist for Winfield United. Joining us on the phone today is Dan Bissell, Senior Research Engineer, Production Development at Winfield United. Dan, you're the first research engineer we've had on the podcast. Could you give us a little background on on what you do? Sure thing. Most days what I attempt to do is try to kind of reconcile the world of physics and kind of fundamental science with what the audience might be doing out in the field, out in the real world. And so I tried to translate different experiments and tests while we're making up different products to kind of evaluate them in a systematic format, but still have a real-world twist to them. That's kind of what I do in a nutshell, but we do a whole bunch of different work at the Innovation Center. So, Dan, I have the pleasure of knowing you on a more personal level. Uh, give us a little background of where you came from and, uh, and what you've done in the past and how you got to Winfield United in working at the uh, Innovation Center. Yeah, you know, it's a pretty interesting story. So I have a variety of experiences in my tool belt, you might say. I started off as kind of an account manager supporting research institutions from pretty much the West Coast, the East Coast, all the way up to Canada, to South America. And so there, anybody had a problem with their research or a unique challenge, and they needed to be able to make a measurement, they'd give me a call. And so I've done things for, oh, I've done two projects with NASA. I've worked for a couple top-secret military bases. I can't say much more than that. Otherwise, uh, well, who knows what might happen. But the pharmaceutical industry, the automotive industry, all doing different kind of laser-based measurements. So, Dan, the key word I was looking there for was uh, you maybe had a uh, name of rocket scientist in your past? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess I'm a little bit more modest than that, but that is true. Having done work for NASA, I think I got the badge of rocket scientist on more than one occasion, I guess. So, Linda, this might be maybe the first time that we've had a rocket scientist on air. Definitely. So, Dan, could you go into a little bit more of, you said, here's what I do day to day, but tell us a little bit about how the Innovation Center in River Falls is is different than any other research facility and and maybe some of the, the unique purposes that we are using it for. Yeah, John. Well, it's really a privilege to work in such an incredible facility there in River Falls, Wisconsin. And really what we're designed to do is rapidly develop and prototype and test different formulations of all sorts of kind of crop input products. We have seed treatment, micronutrients, and my line of work is mostly around adjuvants. So those are things like non-ionic surfactants or drift reduction technologies, DRTs. And we have all sorts of different labs in this beautiful, large facility. And so we have a couple different chemistry labs. And so they turn out different samples. And those kind of work their way through all these kind of evaluation stops. And so we have a greenhouse where we can spray different plants to look at their responses. We have a wind tunnel and a second one on its way where we evaluate drift properties. That's going back to that drift reduction adjuvant stuff. And then um, we also have an entire field facility there, too, where we actually go out and spray plots because I like to think my work is pretty sound and good in the laboratory, but we all know that it's where the rubber hits the road that we find out where things work or where things don't work. 
So Dan, when you said beautiful large facility and you kind of painted a picture for me of clouds floating by in the background, and the sun kind of gleaming through with a with a nice little spotlight on the facility, but me having been to River Falls and the new innovation center, seeing it way more for more of that. And then you went into some of the equipment that we have and that you get to work with and some of the processes. And, and to me, that really relates back to how unique some of that research is. Could you give us an idea, what are some of the size and scale of the pieces of equipment that you work with. Can you give us an idea of maybe your biggest piece of equipment and then your smallest piece of equipment and what those two things would do? So currently I would say that our largest piece of equipment is our wind tunnel, what we call Spray Tech 1. And there that's a facility that's about 20 feet high, about 15 feet wide and about 40 feet long. And what we do there is uh, we move air around while we're spraying to help us measure the droplet profile of the sprays to better understand how much would be likely to move off target or drift or how much would be likely to land on target. And we will be growing that facility. We're going to be developing a new wind tunnel that's going to be, oh, geez, 30 feet tall, almost 20 feet wide, and over 100 feet long. And that's going to be looking at more downwind drift and deposition measurements that we can talk about a little bit later. And keep in mind that this is all indoor research and setup, correct? Absolutely. This is all indoor. It's all temperature and humidity controlled. One of the things that sets us apart, really, is our standard operating procedures, our SOPs, our research specialists, our technicians. The level of detail and control that we have on all of our experiments is really what really sets us apart. We hold everything constant except the one variable that we really want to look at. You've already painted some of these pictures, but rigor of the experimentation, that, and especially your title is product development. I understand and know that you work with a lot of products that probably don't ever make it to the commercial side of things, but talk about the rigor that goes into the experimentation and testing these products and bringing them to the front line before they go out to the field. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a great point to bring up, which is the rigor of all of our measurements here. And so in that case, Take, for example, the wind tunnel system. That is, again, that facility where we're blowing air around and spraying inside of it to look at the entire droplet distribution. And when we do that, we try and test different combinations of tank mixtures, nozzles, pressures, application rates, all these different variables. And um, this technology has been in our portfolio for nearly six years now, and we've done almost 50,000 different unique combinations of nozzle pressure treatment and rate just to evaluate to make sure that our products are performing in pretty much any manner that might go out in the field. And that's just one example, and that kind of rigor goes through all of our evaluation methods because it turns out things behave kind of differently under different circumstances. That's kind of what we found out with the DRA pump shear stuff. So with those 50,000 unique combos, I mean, right away my mind wanders to are we only testing Winfield United products? Do we have other things that we're looking at? Give us an idea, if you can, of some of the things that we're dealing with. We do primarily focus our work and research around Winfield United products only. And that is because we have such a robust pipeline and we're so thorough in our testing that I could be there all day, every day, and still not get all the work done that we have queued up. But that said, there are unique situations there where We might test similar products to see how they perform to make sure that we're best in class, or if we're not, then we at least have a best in class recommendation. 
So Dan, aside from being a rocket scientist, one of the most notable things that you've done since you've been with Winfield United has been your work on the effect of pump shear with the new DRAs that are being required to be put in the tank with dicamba. Can you explain a little bit about your work here and what you've found and how these pump shear effects might happen with the different uses of DRAs? Well, and it's something that's interesting because it kind of marries all of my loves together, rheology and fluid mechanics and sprays and atomization. It's some of the things that I get out of bed for, but I realize that I might have put about half the listeners to sleep there. But essentially, what we found here is that not all DRAs are created equal. And to better understand that, we looked at kind of two classes of DRAs. Now, this doesn't include everything that's on label. We just looked at kind of two families. The first family was polyacrylamides, and the second family are polysaccharides. Polyacrylamides are a synthetic, man-made kind of polymer, and the polysaccharides are actually a a natural polymer. And what we did is we applied a, a shear force to them. And I guess I might have to tangent a bit and explain what shear is. So one way to think about shear is making a peanut butter sandwich. And I think that most of us have done that at least once in our life. So it's a pretty good example. And there what we do is we have a scoop of peanut butter on a knife and we start spreading it on a piece of bread. And what we know is that the peanut butter next to the knife typically stays with the knife. You know that because you spread it across there and you lift up the knife and there's still a glob of peanut butter on there. But we also know that some of that peanut butter stayed on the bread. And we know that because, well, we have a peanut butter sandwich at the end of it. But what happens in between that knife and the bread, that's where that shear phenomenon comes in. And uh, when we have, if we were to stick a polymer in there, like a polyacrylamide, for example, that shear motion between the knife and the bread, that's what rips these polymers apart. And I should say, the reason why that happens is because they're built differently. The way I like to think about polyacrylamide polymers is that they're kind of this hairball. It's kind of a rat's nest of polymers. They're all kind of clumped together. And so literally when you're shearing them, you're ripping those polymers apart. You're ripping that hairball apart, and that hairball is never going to come back together. But what we found with the polysaccharides is that they're more like magnets. They're attracted or repelled in certain ways, and so they can kind of go through this shear force, kind of let go of each other, and then when the shear is removed, they kind of cling back and you don't actually break anything down. So, Dan, talking about hairballs and hairballs never coming back together, I mean, being out in the field this year and having and seeing some of the tank mixes that were going out there, I mean, you're right. Some of these products were hairballs going into it, and maybe they came back together, but they just came back together into a bigger hairball and more of a mess to figure out uh, through that nozzle and in that spray tank. So that's a pretty good analogy of, of what we can expect. When going forward, what can farmers do and how can we differentiate in the field between using the right DRA for that application? I mean, what are maybe one or two steps that a farmer can say, here's how I can be confident and here's how I know this is a product I need to use? Yeah, so the best thing to do out in the field is, first of all, take a look at your DRA before you dump it in. Make sure that it's a polysaccharide-based one. Those polyacrylamide ones are going to be susceptible to that kind of shear breakdown they're going to lose their performance over a period of time, whereas the polysaccharides don't seem to have that problem. So certainly look at the label for one. 
And secondly, if there's any questions at all, someone like you, John, one of our Winfield United agronomists, are fully versed in all of this kind of research, and you guys know what to look for. So that's another great reference out in the field. Yeah, no, as always, I'm always more than willing to answer all the questions that come my way because I know people like you. So, Dan, what are some of the cool things that you're working on in River Falls, and what can we see new coming down the pipeline? Yeah, sure. So all my secrets, I'll I'll spill my guts here. So I would say that the most significant change that we have coming is that if one wind tunnel is good, then two must be way better. And so we're going to start breaking ground here in probably the next two weeks on probably the most sophisticated downwind drift wind tunnel in the entire world. And that's sitting next to one of the most sophisticated spray diagnostic wind tunnels in the world that's existing right now. So this new wind tunnel of ours, as I mentioned before, is going to be about 30 feet tall, 20 feet wide at its widest point, and over 100 feet long. And there's going to be a lot of unique features in this facility. But really what it's meant to do is actually mirror the conditions that you might have in the field. So we'll put a section of a boom in there. We'll spray in a particular orientation. And then we're going to walk 50 or 60 feet downwind and actually see how much drift is still in the air. And this is unique for a couple reasons. One is the sheer scale of this. This wind tunnel is probably going to be the largest wind tunnel that we have in the Midwest, for sure. If not, oh, what, the western side of the Mississippi. Uh-oh, it's Wisconsin. It's the eastern side. <laughs> yeah, you're in Wisconsin. You're on the east, wrong side of the Mississippi there. Holy smoke. You messed no, up certainly... one time, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> it's certainly the largest wind tunnel in the Midwest, if not on the eastern side of the Mississippi. The other thing that's unique about this wind tunnel is that we're actually measuring that physical drift. Right now, what we do is we follow the EPA protocol, which is we measure the size of the droplets coming out, and we use a software program to predict what that physical drift is going to look like. Now we're actually going to be going in and and measuring it, the physical drift itself. We're not relying on a computer simulation. So basically what you told me is a farmer could spend money on a lot of products, but if the products that they spend money on aren't vetted through the buy Winfield process by using the equipment that we have available to at the Innovation Center, we might actually spend money on products that might be a hairball that goes into the tank and that rips apart and makes just another big hairball a mess. And in the end, you get worse coverage of your active ingredient to the plant. Is that right? That's absolutely right. The truth of the matter is, unfortunately, some of those polyacrylamide products got labeled because they didn't go through that rigor of testing that we do at the Innovation Center. It's not just the equipment or the people, but it's certainly our testing processes that sets us apart. That way, when you're using Winfield United products, you know you have a certain confidence level that you know what you're buying is going to work and it's going to work well. When we are looking at these products, particularly DRAs, most of the data and the reason why some of these DRAs came to market was because it was just put into more of a model of bare bones information that we had in the past. How might this new facility actually facilitate uh, maybe the performance of products and the push of new products in a better fashion? Yeah, exactly right. So the process that we use to evaluate an adjuvant like a DRA for EPA approval is pretty straightforward as we described. We spray it out in the wind tunnel, we measure it with our laser, 
and then we use that information, we plug it into that model. And that model does an okay job, but sometimes it doesn't account for some of these real-world phenomena, like agitation in your tank while you're spraying. And so at Winfield United and in our product development process, what we try to do is kind of have that grounded approach to our research and say, is this realistic to what's happening out in the field? And so that's kind of a good example of, of why we started to incorporate pump shear as a parameter that we evaluate for the DRAs. And I think that we're going to see more of that kind of thinking as we start to move into this new big wind tunnel. It's going to allow us to kind of incorporate more of these kind of real-world physical conditions that just might be slipping through the cracks today. So it sounds like we really need to pay attention to what goes in the tank, not only in with the dicamba technology, but also everything else, and know that any product that Winfield United comes out with is going to be vetted through this by Winfield Process at the Innovation Center. Absolutely. And you know what? I, I'm a pretty humble guy, as you know, John, but the truth of the matter is we're experts in sprays and atomization, or certainly we have a team here that are experts in sprays and atomization. And so... Anything that goes through the nozzle, we have a very good grasp on what's happening and making sure that that money that you put into the tank, you're getting the biggest bang for your buck out of it. You've been listening to The Deal with Yield with John Zook, agronomist for Winfield United, and Dan Bissell, Senior Research Engineer, Production Development at Winfield United. For additional episodes of The Deal with Yield, visit iTunes and thedealwithyield.com. 